0: into week three of our First Things First uh, preaching series. If you've been here, if you've been watching online, you know that we're looking at firsts in scripture, uh, some things that... Uh God wants us to know first things that we should see and encounter first as we work our way through the story of God as we work our way through Scripture. And I told you in week one, there's a lot of firsts that we could uh, we could do and we could talk about. Matter of fact, I threw TJ a curveball this week. I told him uh, this is I I think last week or the week before last. These are kind of the things that are coming up. And then uh, God just completely changed my direction. And so uh, we're still talking about a first, but we weren't talking about the one that he thought we were going to talk about. Uh, And so Uh, In week one, we talked about the first day. If you remember, we talked about the first day and what all God created and how he spoke into creation. And then uh, last week, we looked at the first sin and the first sacrifice. And at the end of last week, I hope what I was able to communicate is that we looked at the first sacrifice. Then we looked at the last sacrifice and the only sacrifice that really mattered in Jesus and what he had done for us. And so this week, as we kind of work on on through uh, scripture, we're going to come on to another very familiar passage of scripture, one that you all know by heart, one that uh, most of us would probably say, why are we spending an entire Sunday talking about this one passage of scripture? And I'm going to let you in on just a quick answer to that uh, because we may know it, but we don't live it. We know it but when it comes to actual applying it and, and making it real in our life, we just we just don't do it and what's crazy about, it, especially this one, is that we can come up with every excuse in the book we can justify our behavior on a number of different levels. Uh, we can we can tell ourselves and tell God and tell anybody else why we don't uh, why we don't live this way and why we don't do this we can argue with ourselves. I think sometimes even argue with God that yes, well we meant to, but we didn't really and it all boils down to that that no matter what excuse and what justification we give, the responsibility still stands regardless of our excuses. And so what in the world could we possibly be talking about? From last week, if we are in the story, the unfolding story of God, then, then we're, we're going to move through uh, pretty quickly through the book of Genesis if you think about it. We ended last week with Adam and Eve and the first sin and then the first sacrifice. And I even talked a little bit about Cain and Abel uh, at the very end of the service, kind of brought in that that wasn't the first sacrifice that God provided the first one when they sinned. Uh, if you keep going through the book of Genesis, you're obviously going to hit Noah and the flood, all right, and, and God's first promise that he would never destroy the earth like he had done so before. We get to Adam, or, or not Adam, Abraham, who uh, is later mentioned as the first prophet. DICK <laughs> Uh, And then God gives Abraham the first major covenant, right? We make the very first major covenant with Abraham. Keep going. There's Solomon and Gomorrah. We know those stories. We get into Isaac and the provided sacrifice, Uh, the ram that was caught by its horns. We all know that story. Uh, After Isaac, there's Jacob and Esau and the birthright and the blessing story of the Old Testament. Uh, Hopefully you're a little familiar with that. Leah and Rachel come along, and then we get the 12 sons of Jacob, uh, which we know now as the 12 tribes of Israel because right after that uh, we also see uh, Jacob's name be changed he wrestled with the angel and that God changes Jacob's name to Israel that's why we call them the Israelites and not the Jacobites because God changed his name After uh, that, we finally get into uh, some of the sons and all the issues of the sons. Remember uh, Judah and Tamar and remember uh, Joseph and all his dreams and his interpretation and how his brothers just hated him. We we talked about that not long ago. And how uh, eventually at the end of the book of Genesis, we finally get uh, Israel and the 12 sons living in Egypt with Jacob. After Jacob had risen to power and he'd saved all these different folks and the, the famine, the land and all that great stuff. And so we are in Egypt at the end of the book of Genesis. And if you turn the page into the book of Exodus, you are turning the page of 400 years of non-documented biblical history, non-biblically documented history. There is history books about these 400 years, but when we turn the page, you need to remember that you're not just going from one story right into the next. You're passing generations of folks, and what has happened is at the end of Genesis, there are 70 Israelites living in Egypt. At the beginning of Exodus, there are close to a million Israelites living as slaves. In Egypt, one of the very most powerful uh, verses in the very first part of Exodus is that uh, that a new king came to power, and he knew nothing of uh, the Israelites or their God, right? And so, uh, what we see is for generations this deterioration of what uh, what uh, Israel and his family stood for, and then now they are being enslaved and being uh, mistreated, and they are now working for the Egyptians. Now, if we were to go here, we would know that uh, after after. Um, God calls Moses to lead the people out we have the the ten plagues Uh, we could do our Bible history trivia quiz to see how many of those you could actually remember we all remember the frogs and the blood uh, and the angel of death but if we get into the other ones we're like "Ah, it's a little tricky Um, and then after the plagues obviously uh, Pharaoh lets the Israelites go they begin to wander Uh, meant to travel through the desert not wandering just yet Uh, had the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire remember that Uh, and finally they cross the Red Sea. And and where we're going to stop this morning is they are standing at the base of Mount Sinai. They're they're standing out in the desert at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're about to hear some really important things from God. And that's where we're going to pick up our our story. If you have your Bibles, let's go to to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, This is where God gives us uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. We we probably could recite those as well with our biblical trivia. Uh, we've all seen Charleston Heston walk down the mountain in his red robe and his uh, flowing white beard holding the tablets of stone on TV. We've all watched that a thousand times. This, as, as kids growing up, I just remember that was always on. I felt like it was on, and it was on for like eight hours. As it was just took forever uh, to watch the Ten Commandments on TV. Uh, and we could probably list them off. I've got them on the screen. No other before me, no idols, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, and do not covet. And if you learn those in the King James, it was a lot of thou shall nots, right? And we can remember those because they're important. But what was the first one? What was the first of the ten commandments, the top ten things God wanted us to know? What was first? Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And we read that and we go, well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's easy, right? But real talk, when it comes down to it, we don't live this way at all let's just take the gravity of the, f- the first few statements there and the Lord and God spoke these words we we read that and it's just almost like oh yeah okay whatever God spoke these words but when did reading that phrase become normal and common that God, the creator of all things, spoke to creation. And we on every level when we read that should be afraid, right? We should we should fall down in fear, knowing that Jehovah Elohim, that's the Lord our God, spoke to allowed to us let's matter of fact let's go back one chapter if you've got your bible go to chapter 19 verse 16 through 19 it should be on the screen this is how the israelites reacted when they were encountered with the opportunity to hear god speak verse 16 on the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast everyone in the camp trembled then moses led the people out of the camp to meet with god and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with thick smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. This is incredible. Flip the page, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. This is their opportunity. When the people saw the thunder and the light and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. And we read. God said these words. Because I believe we read scripture too flippantly sometimes. We're just like, okay, whatever. What did he say? God spoke. Don't miss that. These these people here, they were afraid for God to even speak to them. They said, we're going to die if he even speaks to us, if he addresses us personally personally. We will die. TJ just read the verse in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah says, Woe is me, right? For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. John in Revelation chapter 1 saw God in the throne room and he fell down like he was a dead man, not because he was in awe and reverence, because he was afraid for his life. We have changed the meaning of fear in scripture to make it more palatable for us. But when you read scripture and you read the people feared God, yes, they honored him and yes, they were in awe of him, but they were scared to death of him as well. And too often we just rush into his presence and rush out and we don't even care. We're not even really understanding the magnitude that we are communicating with the God of all things. That, that we, we get to have right relationship and we get to have a communion with God. And these people, they were scared to death. We cannot miss the magnitude that God would actually speak. And so when he speaks, there are some pretty important things that he says, even in this very first commandment. Let's look at it again. It says, I am the Lord your God. It's the very first thing that he says. I am the Lord, your God. Ellicott's commentary says this, and I put it on the screen because it's so good. The binding nature of commands upon the conscience depends upon the authority of the person who issues them. Right there is no higher authority than God Himself. Therefore, when we read Scripture, not just, not just Exodus or not just Old Testament Scripture, but even because Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? We know that. And so when we read Scripture, we have to understand the authority of who is actually speaking. These, the things that are contained in your Bible are not things that are up for discussion. They're, they're, not, they're not suggestions. They're not compromisable. They're not, they're not for you to deem as important or unimportant just because they don't fit your agenda or they don't fit your culture or they don't fit maybe your preference or your own personal desire. When he says, I am the Lord, your God, that's enough, right? For whatever follows that, we go, okay, yeah, you're right. Because you're speaking to us and you are God. I'll, I'll do whatever. Whatever he says next, we do. We don't have to like it. We don't have to fully understand it. Because he is the Lord our God. And that's what hit me. I was writing out this sermon. And, and if you guys know, I, I, somebody uh, texted me a couple of weeks ago and asked for my notes for a Wednesday night Bible study, I do the same thing for Wednesday nights as I do on Sunday morning. If you were to have my iPad, it's quite interesting, okay? I'm I, manuscript, there are different ways to, uh, to prepare sermons. Some people just do bullet points. Uh, some people, there's uh, Emil Turner. If you guys remember who Emil Turner was, he was the director of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention for a long time. Uh, Dr. Turner memorized everything. He memorized every Bible verse he was going to read. Uh, he memorized the text that he was preaching out of He had it all from memory And would stand up with no notes And, and go, I can't do that I'm not smart as he is uh, That's the reason why he's got initials in front of his name And behind his name, okay I do not uh, But what I do is I manuscript I write everything out So I write it just like I'm reading it to you guys uh, I, I, A lot of it I kind of ad lib Like this part's not written down in my notes But what I do is I, I write it And then I go back through and I highlight things I put it in red and I bold it and I make it bigger. So I make sure that I say these things. I make sure I go back to these points because they're the most important points. But you know what's on my my page right now? God places a condition within this statement. And this really messed me up. I am the Lord, your God should underline or circle that word your in scripture because it really hit me this week to know that if he's not your God I guess I mean I guess you don't have to really pay attention to it you should I mean still God whether you acknowledge it or not but if he is your God if you claim to know him, if you claim to, to be his, if you rest in his blessing, or if you call on him when you need him, or if, you, if, you, are you, if you're assured of your salvation because of what he has done, if you say that he is God, then whatever he says goes. But the problem is, too many of us say that he's our God, but we live like he's not. We live like he's not oh, we, we know all the right things to say, right? we got the lingo down. We've got all the Sunday school answers and we know what to say at the right time to say. And, and we, can even, you know, we can even lie to ourselves or lie to the pastor or, or, or we can say the right kind of prayers or do whatever we need to do. But when we look at our lives and the decisions that we make and the relationships that we have and the things that we do and the ins and outs of our life on an everyday basis, there's little or no evidence that he is the Lord our God but that's the condition of what he says next I am the Lord your God and so church if he is then then whatever he says we do there's there's no room for disobedience when you realize that the God of the universe is speaking command to you there's there's no room for for some some excuse as to why we would not do whatever follows when he is our God. Look back at our verse. I am the Lord your God, the next phrase, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's he doing? He's reminding them of his faithfulness. He's saying, look, I am your God, right? And I brought you out of this. And listen, church, I think sometimes we need to be reminded of what all he's done for us. What is is your Egypt? What what has God brought you out of? Some of you, it may be divorce, right? He's brought you out of a horrible divorce. Or maybe he's brought you out of addiction. Or maybe he's brought you out of your anger issues or or, or the brink of bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Or maybe you're just about to lose everything that you ever had, that you ever valued as important. And, and maybe, maybe we just need to be reminded of what God has done to bring us out of those things. But I think what we do, and I say we, not you, we do, is we do exactly what the Israelites did when Moses led them out. You guys remember the story. But they were slaves, right? They had very little possessions. They had very little thing of their own. They had no freedoms. They were under the burden of slavery. And as soon as something doesn't go their way, what do they do? Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 through 3. It's on the screen. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There... We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Matter of fact, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, they said, Let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. Do you think for one second that they had all the food they wanted to eat? No. No, they were slaves. They were romanticizing and fantasizing slavery you know I think some of us like the Israelites convince ourselves that life was better when we got to do whatever we wanted to do and got to live however we wanted to live and we could go back to that life and be happier than we are being obedient to God and we forget what Egypt was like We go back to those old sin patterns in our life. We go back to that old behavior and the things that enslaved us and almost ruined us. And we need to be reminded of our Egypt. We need to be reminded of what life was like before God rescued us. We need to be reminded what it felt like when you you thought your wife was going to leave you. You need to be reminded what it feels like when you thought your whole world was crumbling around you. You need to remember what it felt like when your friends abandoned you and you didn't have anybody. You need to remember what it's like to be lonely and to be on your own.
1: You need to remember
0: what your sin deserves. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. We deserve separation. But because of what God has done and because of the promise of who Jesus is, we have right relationship with God that we don't deserve. But too many of us want to run back to that old life, that stuff that we used to do. That stuff was that, that, that kept us in bondage for so long. And so I'd rather live like that than live in the freedom that God's given me. Too many of us have been living in God's blessing for so long we've forgotten the price that was paid for that blessing. And we need to remember our Egypt. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord to become his counselor? Who has ever first given to him that he would be repaid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things for him. Be the glory forever. Amen. Church, sometimes we just need to set back and go, Okay, God, I don't understand it. And I don't get it. And I don't know all the ways you're going to work this out. But I'm going to trust you because life is better now in obedience to it ever was when i was in slavery and we need to remember what it was like when we were in bondage If we get out of the way enough i think if we get out of our heads enough or maybe we set aside our pride or our ego or our pretentiousness or whatever it is enough to actually do some self-reflection we we quickly realize that we are who we are because he is the lord our god it has nothing to do with ourselves we in ourselves are naturally horrible people. We in ourselves, are, we're not good enough ever. But we are who we are because of He being our God. He's the one who delivered us. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who rescued us from that bondage. So whatever He says... He establishes his authority, he reminds us of his faithfulness, and then he gives us this command. And church, when we read it, it's just, it's almost a no-brainer. God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's point number three. It's the third thing he said, I am the Lord, your God. I did this in your life. You shall have no other gods before me. And we read that and we go, of course not. We couldn't. With everything else that God's done, with all his faithfulness known, there's no way we could ever put anything above him. And over and over and over, scripture reminds us not to do that. That there's nothing that compares to God. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 6, there's none like you. 1 Samuel 2:2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you. 1 Chronicles 17:20, O Lord, there's nothing like you, nor is there any other God beside you. Philippians 3:8, Paul tells us nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Psalm 88:8, 8, O Lord, there's nothing like you among the gods. Nothing compares to him. Nothing And yet, over and over and over again, we continue to put things in priority positions over him. I said from the beginning, this is easy, but we don't live it. This is not hard, but we complicate it. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't always live like there's no other gods before him. So my question to you this morning is, what gets your best? I mean, the reality is we all have uh, families and we all have spouses or kids or grandkids or something. We have, we have jobs and we have responsibilities and all those things demand our attention and I'm all for it. Those are all good things, right? We have uh, schedules to manage and we have relationships to manage and we have uh, all these different things going on in our life. None of those things are bad things. But when good things outrank God things, then we've broken the very first rule. I'm going to say some things in truth this morning. Hear me in love, please. But let's talk real life stuff. Because we can talk ambiguous things all day long. We can talk about things that are pie in the sky. But when it comes down to real life stuff, hear me. If you're teaching your kids more about sports than you are about Jesus, then you've broken the first rule. If you'll rearrange your schedule... Change your routine, sacrifice your weekends, and oftentimes put yourself and your family in a financially tight spot for travel ball, but you just can't seem to make it to church and you can't serve on Wednesday nights and you certainly don't biblically tithe because you can't afford it, that you've broken the first rule. Let's get deeper. If you've been delivered from sin and you've had areas of your life restored and you've regained trust and God has proven himself faithful to you, and you want to run back to Egypt, and you start inching your way back to things that that have held you in bondage, or you start entertaining the very thing that enslaved you, then you've broken the first rule. If your own feelings of acceptance with a group of people, or your inclusion in social events means that you either participate in behavior that you know directly contradicts the word of God, or you excuse that behavior in other people's lives just so that you are included or a part of or accepted by, then you have broken the first rule. And real talk, this is a hard one, especially today. If you're watching online, If you're watching online and you've allowed the technology that we provide to become an easy excuse for you not to serve the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the folks that need to stay home. There are folks that need to stay home and I'm happy that they watch online. But if you can go everywhere else. If you can go to basketball games and you can go to the grocery store. If you can go on vacation and you can go sit in a movie theater. Then by golly you can go to church. And you've allowed ease and convenience to creep its way into a place where you've broken the first rule and you say matt just because i do those things doesn't mean i don't love jesus i'm not saying you don't i'm just asking is he first is he first in the position that he just asked us in the top 10 things that i need you to do keep me first And I think for a lot of us, it's a battle. Is he first or is our leisure first? Is he first or is convenience first? Is he first or is our schedule first? Is he first or acceptance and inclusion with others first? Here's my last thought, and I'm going to wrap this up. And I believe this. I believe that too many of us love God and we love Jesus. We just don't put him first. We just don't. We got other things. And we say, maybe not first, but he's in the top five. Right, if, if we were to rank things in our life, easily top five, but the first commandment, the first thing that God wanted us to know about living for him is to put him first. And the sad thing is, if we were completely oblivious, of the Ten Commandments. Like if we, we never even heard of their existence. We didn't even know that they were a thing. But you knew who God was. And you, and you, you knew who Jesus was. And you accepted salvation and all that stuff. But you had no idea about the Ten Commandments. So I came to you and I said, listen. God said a long time ago there were ten things. That that if we were saved, if we were living for Him. If we just did these ten things. That we would be doing pretty good. I mean we'd be, we'd be way above the, the fray here we'd be we'd be living really really well you'd all say 10 that's it 10 things and I say yeah they're like don't murder and don't steal and you're like well that's easy I can do those 10 things anybody can do 10 things but church we're aware of those and we can't get off number one we can't even get the first one down Here's the kicker, and this is what really broke me. I was writing on Thursday trying to wrap this thought up, and like I told you, I, I changed gears in the middle of the week, and and so I had to rewrite. And as I, I wrote, how, how do I finish this? And, and then kind of just, I just sit in my office, <laughs> almost apologetically talking to God, because. Of all the things that we put above Him. And He asks us just to keep Him first. I, I remembered and I read back that before He ever gave the Ten Commandments, before anybody was actually accountable to the law, God already loved. His people, and he called them his own. You got your Bible, flip back to chapter 19 again. This is before the Ten Commandments, chapter 19. This is a longer passage, six verses, y'all. It's on the screen, I think. Uh, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Radephim, they entered this desert of Sinai, and the Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So before the commandments, God had already decided that of all the people on earth, that they were going to be his treasured possession. If you've been in Wednesday Night Bible Study, you know that's my favorite Hebrew word. It's the favorite... Old Testament word, the Old Testament word says, my segula, you are my segula, you are my treasured possession, my most favorite thing. Before church, before God ever asked us to put him first, he put us first. Before he ever commanded the people in the desert to just love me first, he already loved us first. And all he asks in return is that we do the same thing for him. Before you were ever saved, before you were ever in, in this desperate position to be rescued out of your Egypt, God already loved you first. Before you ever did anything good and right and for him, he already loved you first. And all he's asking is just put me first. Like I put you first. I loved you first. Will you just love me first? How dare we not? How dare we make excuse of how we have to manipulate our schedule to put him first? How dare we ever have to change something in us to remind ourselves to love him first when he loved us first. It's the very first of the Ten Commandments. So my question to you this morning as we wrap up is this very simple. What's your first? What's getting your best? What what is it? And we can we can lie to ourselves all day long, but really we've got to stop and do some self-reflection and go, okay, maybe this is not getting my best. Maybe my relationship with God is getting my leftovers or my uh, when I have times or my spare change. Let's not get my first. What's your Egypt? I think it's good to be reminded of that. What's the lowest point in your life? And how has God rescued and delivered you from that? Maybe you say, saying, listen, he's still in the process of rescuing me from that. And what excuse are you giving for not... Living with him first Because I can promise you whatever excuses is doesn't hold up to the fact that he loved us first. So this is your chance to respond to that. TJ's going to come, and, and we're going to have an a, a invitation moment here. This is your chance to just say, you know what, God? I've not been living with you first. I've not been putting things in the right priority list. I've put other things above you, and I'm sorry. Some of you just need to say, God, remind me of what you've delivered me from. Not to pull me back into that, not to make me feel guilty or shame, but to let me see your faithfulness. And some of you just say, you know what, I'm I'm in the middle of something that's really, really hard, and I'm needing some deliverance. Whatever it is, whatever God's calling you to, I'm going to ask that you just be honest and vulnerable this morning long enough to put Him first. And then every day, we continue to put Him first. I believe your whole world will change. I believe your marriages will change. I believe your family dynamics will change. I believe your job dynamics will change. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It just means it's going to be God honoring. Would you stand with me and bow as TJ comes to sing? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us enough to put us first. And so, Father, we just pray. God, we pray that we can honestly come to you and repent ask for forgiveness and live our lives with you first the Bible says out of all the nations on the earth you chose the Israelites God out of all the people on earth you chose us we are not worthy of your salvation we are not worthy of right relationship Father we want to continue to live life with you first to show our dependence, to show our obedience, to show our need, deep need for you. God, whatever you are revealing to us in this moment, God, whether it's our need, whether it's our priorities, or whether it's our Egypt that we need to be delivered from, God, be real to us in these few moments and help us respond in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.